Hello and welcome back to Kindled. I am bringing you a special episode today that is unplanned and was not scheduled and actually is airing inside of my Firestarters community, which is my um, exclusive community of subscribers that get uh, content that I do not release on Kindled. So they get a different set of episodes that are just me and the mic talking about usually what is going on in the news. And that might be cultural events, that might be theological conversations that are happening within Christendom and just popular topics that are coming up that Christians are discussing online. Um, You know, that I love to engage in those conversations many times. And Firestarters gives me a place to do that on a longer format than Instagram stories or just with, with a lot more ease and the ability to kind of elucidate my thoughts beyond a social media platform. And so that's what Firestarters is. It's just me and the mic. This is an episode that is airing inside of my Firestarters community, but I am bringing it to you um, to add to this conversation um, some important and interesting points that I think are worth keeping in mind um, regarding the Asbury situation. And to also invite you that if you like this type of content, uh, come join us inside Firestarters at kindledpodcast.locals.com. It's $10 a month. You get an episode every week that is some sort of commentary and it's 30 minutes or less. So they are shorter than typical Kindled episodes, kind of bite-sized chunks. I call them like Instagram rants on steroids. So that is what this is. Uh, Here is my perspective on what's happening at Asbury. I want to bring you an episode today talking about the Asbury Revival, quote unquote. That is what it's being called. Uh, if you are on social media and you follow any Christian accounts, you've likely already heard about it and seen videos of um, what is being claimed to be a revival, what God is doing on the campus at Asbury. Um, this is a Christian college in Kentucky. And Um, in Wilmore, Kentucky, and uh, I actually, to be honest, had never even heard of uh, the the college before this story broke out. But um, it's been interesting to follow, and I have been relatively slow to speak just because I I think when things like this happen, it's really um, my tendency, and everyone's tendency really, is to kind of if you're shooting from the hip to go based on your default um, thinking around that that given topic, right? So, if you if you maybe have a history of um, experiencing things like this, where it's you know unbroken prayer and worship sessions, or quote unquote revivals, or um, just a move of the spirit in, in the church you grew up in. Maybe, maybe this is very familiar and, you know, there's no cause for skepticism. Um, if you, like me, grew up in a very charismatic background for a number of years and then transitioned to, you know, the other extreme of super reformed, you're probably going to have some initial skepticism and questions about, well, what is exactly going on? What is being said? What is being taught? And so I think, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of letting you know that that's why I've been slow to speak about this because I know what my biases are and I know what my tendencies are when it comes to these things to, I'm slow. I'm slow to say, oh, it is what you say it is. Um, and I've wanted to kind of see how it played out. And, you know, there's wisdom in that, I think, and not just 
having to have an opinion right away or just make a statement just because everyone's saying, what do you think it is? Make a statement. Um, and I've had a lot of people ask, like, what, what are your opinions? What are your thoughts? And the truth is, um, I, I don't know that, um, I can have, um, a, a totally educated view on this. I will give you what my thoughts are at this point from my perspective, which I will admit is limited because I've not been there. I haven't heard every single message that's been preached. I haven't heard every single testimony that's been shared, but, um, you know, just the facts of it are that after their regular chapel service last Wednesday, um, essentially the Asbury College students, uh, just continued the worship service. They did not, it did not end. It just continued on, uh, into the evening and then the, into the next day. And throughout the day, it's, it's a little slower in the morning and people congregate more in the evening. This is what has been going on. There has just been kind of this ebb and flow of constant prayer and worship. Uh, the original, the sermon or the teaching that kicked it off, um, was um, a sermon on Romans 12, and I have seen parts of that sermon, have not seen the entire sermon, but it is very much about the love of God and how um, if we want to pour out the love of God to those around us, we first have to prostrate ourselves before the love of God. So there's a lot of, um, you know, just talk about God's love and uh, you know, I, again, I, I have not heard messages on repentance. I have not seen, I have, I have heard reports from secondhand sources that there are, that that is happening, that there is repentance and people coming to faith in Christ. And if that's true, then praise God. That's, that's awesome. That's what we want to see. So we hope to see. Um, but there's several things that cause me to, to pause before kind of, uh, just accepting every single thing that I'm seeing online right now. So a few things to note that are helpful in kind of discerning what is going on is that, um, this is actually not the first time that this has happened at Asbury. They have a rich history of revival and if you go to their website, literally they have a history section and there is a page all about revivals at Asbury University. Uh, let me just read you a couple sentences from that. It says, Asbury University has been known through the years for its history of great revivals. There have been several occasions where significant moves of the Holy Spirit have swept the campus and reached across the nation. In February 1905, during a blizzard, a prayer meeting in the men's dormitory spilled out onto the rest of campus and the town of Wilmore. In February 1908, revival broke out while someone prayed in chapel. The revival lasted two weeks and was signified by prevailing prayer and intercession. In February 1921, the last service of a planned revival lasted until 6 a.m. and services were extended for three days. There's an instance of a planned revival. Now, I don't know. I've never heard of such a thing. I mean, I've heard of obviously Christian conferences, prayer and worship meetings. I've heard of 24-hour prayer rooms. I've heard of all kinds of things, but I've never really heard of a planned revival. Um, I thought revival was something that was a move of God. And if it's if it's a planned thing by man, well, then can you call it a revival or can should you call that a planned, you know, extended prayer and worship session? 
That's what I would call it. I would not call that a revival. Um, just, just based on the fact that it, uh, length of time, right? Like, I th- feel like that's, that's kind of the thing that is making me a little bit skeptical here is just length of, length of time and desire to be at this worship service, uh, which pr- appears to be largely worship. There are some testimonies being given. Um, and again, I'm sure there has been more messages preached. I have not seen after, I have not seen uh, messages other than the first one. Um, and I know that their their kind of leadership at the university is discouraging broadcasting uh, to keep it pure, which I think is good. I think that's a really wise thing. Um, however, just the the idea that there's been planned revivals in the past does make me wonder if this is potentially similar. I don't know. No, that's really a question I'm asking. I don't know the answer to that. Um, and there was there was other revivals in February 1950. I mean, it's not, it's interesting that all of these are actually in February or March, which I'm actually just now realizing as I, um, as I look at this, February 1905, February 1908, February 1921, February 1950, March 1958, February 1970, March 1992, February 2006. Uh, these are, you know, the, the most recent one, 2006, was a student chapel-led to four days of continuous worship, prayer, and praise. And again, this is an existing page on their website. It does not appear, I guess I don't know the timestamp of the, the page when it was created, but this is a, a page that it has existed. It appears on their website for some time because it's been cataloging the history. The most recent one is not even on the page yet. It's called Archives History of Ezra University um, on Revivals. And so, you know, I, the thing, the thing that's hard is you absolutely don't want to discount a true move of God. And Lord knows we do need revival in this nation. Like desperately, we need people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we need people to come to repentance over their sin. And we need people to believe, repent and believe, to put their hope in Christ and to have their lives changed. And I hate the fact that th- that there even has to be a question of whether this is genuine or not. But the Bible is clear that we must discern. Uh, we must test every spirit. And uh, there is there is enough, um, enough, you know, kind of contextual evidence to make me pause and go, I, I don't know yet. And, and Elisa Childers has said the same thing. It's too soon to tell whether this is actually a revival. Um, I think the safer thing to call it is an extended prayer and worship session. And that's a great thing. Like there's absolutely nothing wrong with praying and worshiping for days on end. I have nothing against that. Um, I would hope to see the gospel being preached, um, true, you know, a true message of, uh, people's sin and of Christ's death on the cross, his propitiation for our sins, a call to holiness, a call to um, righteousness, a call to re- repenting of your sins, and then um, you know being born again. Like that—that's what I would I would hope to see foundational, really just basic truths of the gospel being shared. If this if this was really a place where people are coming to to know Jesus or to understand the true message of the gospel and its implication for them. Um, you know, even if they kind of knew like the, the, 
the parts they, they had all the parts in place but it, it had not um truly changed them you know i'm familiar with that that was definitely me as a high schooler i i think uh, or or you can grow stale you know you can know the facts of what the bible teaches but it it might not be real to you because you haven't actually maybe you haven't needed you haven't seen your need for god's for- forgiveness and grace and mercy and when you wander from him or when you grow cold in your love and then the holy spirit moves in you to show you and reveal your great need and then you just the the reality the weight of what christ has done for you washes over you there is absolutely some very i mean that that's experiential that's emotional that does cause emotions to well up i mean who hasn't cried in worship before i cry almost every sunday in worship um you know and and so i don't this isn't like discouraging um an emotional response I'm not here to say an emotional response to prayer and worship is negative always. Um, However, that's not the only signifier of, um, that's not like the defining characteristic of whether God is moving or not, right? Or the presence of God or revival. Um, Again, revival will be characterized by lasting fruit, lasting and persisting fruit. And so it is certainly too early. I think it is, it is just a mischaracterization mischaracterization to call this a revival um because we can't know whether the fruit of this is long lasting like there is there is real fruit from um the great awakening now i i don't know if this will prompt you know um a true second great awakening i don't know um that would be amazing that would be an answer to to prayer absolutely for so many that we have hoped in our nation to come to see um, the truth of who God is and who they are in light of him and their need for a savior and their need to turn from their sin and turn to God. Um, and, and it's no doubt that the young people in this nation have a particular challenge when it comes to, you know, just the lies they have grown up with, the lies they've been sold, the things that they are, the cultural water that they're swimming in, the air they're taking in and breathing is is so much more toxic than even what it was when I was in college, you know, 15 years ago. And so, um, you know, I think it's wise to watch and wait, to pray, absolutely pray for these people and these young people to truly not just encounter God, but be transformed by the renewing of their minds. And how does that come um, it comes through the preaching of God's word from hearing and, and learning and being taught the scriptures. Um, that is the power of God. And, and it is um, active. It is str- sharper than any two-edged sword. And so if that is happening, then absolutely, I think God will use this in many people's lives. And, and of course, you know, there will be some who maybe came just for the show or were there to be seen or were there to look like they were part of something that they have heard and been taught, no doubt, in the, in the classes at this university about the great history of revival. And, I'm, you know, you also have to realize, like, we aren't in these classes as students. And so, who knows what classes, perhaps, um, or professors have, maybe they've talked about, oh, the great revival of February 2006 or whatever. And, you know, wouldn't it be great if God would move again? And, and what if, what if some of those 
you know, classes prompted, prompted this move. Um, those professors kind of said things that put ideas into students' head, which again, isn't even all bad because it's not a bad thing to put into someone's mind that like, we should pray for revival in our nation and pray for God to pour out his, um, his truth on our land. Absolutely. But I think there just becomes a very fine line when it's like you're praying for God to move versus you're planning for God to move. You know, I, I think there's a, there's a fine line there. Um, and having a planned prayer and worship session, I'm not saying it was, I don't know if it was, but that has happened in the past there. That's super different than an organic revival, right? Organic, um, now it's it's not bad. It's not bad because like you could have a days long conference that's planned as well, and God could move and use that in the lives of the people who attend the conference. So it's it, there's nothing negative about doing it. I just wonder if revival is really the right word to be used, or whether it is sort of putting the cart before the horse and claiming something that we can't know, rather than you know just saying stating what is happening. Um, so you know maybe that's semantics, but just that's my thoughts is when there's a history of revivals page on your website, it causes, it leads me to at least question, well, what are your teachings on revival? What are your teachings on what that means? What that should look like? How that happens? Um, you know, what qualifies one? I, I don't know. I, I, you know, what is it? What are, what are the students being taught? What are they being taught to pray for and ask for and look for in terms of what revival means on campus? And I mean, just practically, I, I'm curious about why they all happened in February or March. I just, just honest, just an honest question. I don't know. I, it's just a little curious to me. Um, like, does the Holy Spirit only move in February or March? I mean, you know, and, and of course, I don't think that everyone there would say, well, you have to be here to experience the move of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely not. Like he can move in more than one place at at um, at one time. And so it's uh, I'm not saying that they're claiming that uh, I, I just there's a lot of questions. And without having a firsthand, you know, look into everything, I can't say I can't say what what exactly is going on or, you know, whether it's real or not. I, I don't, it's too early for any of us to say. And it's even, it's even maybe too early for those who are there to say too. Um, and so again, it is not negative to pray and worship for days on end. There, it is not a bad thing to pray for God to move. It is not a bad thing to pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out onto this land. It is not a bad thing to long for the power of God to transform hearts and minds. Um, but I think we just need to be aware that, even now, this hasn't happened since 2006, 2023 is an entirely different world than 2006 was. You know, everybody has smartphones, every single child, every single, not child, college student at that university has a smartphone. So the second that anything happens, you know, the whole world can know about it. In 2006, even, it was not that way. Like people were, I think that was the year I got on Facebook, but it was still you know, I couldn't get on Facebook without a college email address. And I was just getting into um, college. And so I got one and I was so excited that I could get on Facebook. So, you know, th compare that to today when, when kids have had social media their entire adolescence, been growing up with it, 
and our, you know, everything gets broadcast the second that it happens. I just think you have to recognize we're in quite a different world. And we're also in a darker world. And so there's a great desire among Christian students, I'm sure, as well as Christian adults like myself, to see the light of truth penetrate the darkness of our world. And and I would imagine if I was at a Christian university where I could worship and pray and sing songs and attend a chapel service with fellow Christians at my campus, I would feel compelled to be there too. Um, so, you know, I'm not at all denigrating what's going on. I just think that there's this, there's this tendency to want to classify and label and categorize things sometimes too soon. Uh, you know, and, and I think we've all experienced, uh, many of us anyways, have experienced the, the summer camp high, the experience that comes from, you know, just the powerful um, ability of even just communal worship. Like, and it is powerful and it's meant to be. God knows it's powerful. He designed it that way. That's why he commands us to worship and, um, and not to give up meeting together because it is powerful. There is something not just, you know, personally, individually uh, impactful to our emotions, but also there is um, a very real aspect of God's presence when two or more gather in his name. And so, um, again, I think absolutely the Spirit of God can be there and can be moving in the hearts of of those whom he's called to, you know, reveal himself to them, to uh, bring them to a place of um, saving knowledge of who he is, or perhaps back to um, you know, a relationship with him if they have been cold or have been, um, distant from him. But I think, yeah, that it it can be very tempting to want to categorize things, uh, that perhaps it would, we would be better served to be slower to leap to that and just to praise God for whatever he is doing and to continue to pray that, in in all things God is glorified and that um and that there is you know there is lasting fruit from this oh what I was saying was the college or the the summer camp experience you know we've all kind of been to those like summer camp worship nights which it happens like every night at Christian summer camp um it, it did at mine anyways and you know crying and the cross ceremony like uh my my camp would do this cross ceremony where you would you know, write down, I think maybe you would like have a note, note piece of paper and you would write down like the sins that you needed to leave at the foot of the cross or confession and you would walk up and nail it to the cross and it would be, you know, the sins that that you were recognizing that Christ died for you um, and, and paid for, for, for you specifically. And, and that was a powerful ceremony, absolutely. Um, but devoid of discipleship, you know, students leave those types of kind of mountaintop experiences and they go back home and they kind of continue back however they were the way before. Um, That's a really common story. That's happened to me. They go back and they continue sleeping with their boyfriend. They go back home and they continue, um, you know, whatever it may be, watching porn um, in, in the patterns of sin they did before because there isn't, you know, there isn't potentially fruit from that. Um, and, and if there was fruit, it rotted on the vine because there was no one there to tend to it. There was no discipleship. There's no accountability. There was no, um, 
you know, system in that student's life of, of what the really, the truly biblical model and structure of growth and discipleship is and, and how we are all, the body is built up through, you know, the, the other members of the body of Christ and we are, we are to build one another up. And so, um, you know, I think that that, that's a really common thing that happens. Um, I hope that's not what this is, but you know, there will be people who that that's all it is for them. And I just pray that those that are meant to, you know, really be changed and, and have transformed hearts and minds from this experience that God will, um, God will see them through and, and not and see them, not just through the end of this quote unquote revival, but, but through to the other side of it. Like, what about when it's over? What about when the music stops? What about when the worship ends and when the doors to the chapel are closed, then what? You know, then when you're not on that mountaintop, able to praise God with your community around you, when you have to go back into the fray, when you have to encounter trials and challenges of various kinds, when all of that happens, then are you able to persist? Are you, you know, do you, have you rooted, have your roots grown deep into the soil of the strength of God and are you able to endure? Are you able to count the challenges and the trials that you face as joy um, because they produce perseverance and character and hope as Paul writes. Um, And, you know, in my, I know I will say in my own Christian walk, even though I was raised in the church and I have been a believer since I was very young, since I was nine, it took many, many the experience of many mountaintop and very high and very emotional experiences for me to finally get to a place of truly surrendering my will to God's and choosing to obey him over obeying the impulses of what I wanted, whether that be that I wanted an emotional experience or I wanted, you know, um, to sin. Like, I, I will say that even though I was saved, I was still not submitting, I was not actively choosing to submit myself to God. I was choosing to live um, kind of my own way. And so, you know, I just share that to say, uh, just because that, you know, is someone's story doesn't mean they're not a Christian. I think it means there's, there's probably missing elements of of that in their life and for me i i needed to be in a sound bible teaching church with a community of believers around me who would hold me accountable who would call me to something higher than living for myself than indulging the flesh and um you know i found that and then that church veered away from truth and and then God pulled us out and we found a a better church that that does that for us now um and we're able to be a part of serving in that body and doing that for others who are a little bit behind where we are just uh, within our small group so anyway I show that to say like I've been through my own set of mountaintop experiences that did not lead to lasting change but they were a part of my story and God you know, God used those to get me to where I am today. Um, and he was faithful to me. You know, what was faithful to me was not, 
um, the experience in any one of those places, but the God who presided over everything, you know, even, even potentially, and, and maybe others would have said, oh, really, Haley? Well, that was the, that was actually the time where I met Jesus and I've been saved and living for him ever since. And I would say to that, like, praise God, you know, that's amazing. Um, and God can use all, all different types of scenarios to, to bring each one of us to himself. And our stories are obviously different, but you know, I, I think that's why it's hard. There will always be a mixture. There will always be some who, um, who are genuine and some who are not. And, you know, in, in many of those cases, I was the one who was not, I was the one who was maybe like, Hey, Haley, did you forget that it wasn't supposed to just end at summer camp? It was supposed to be more impactful. But, and I remember thinking like, gosh, it never lasts. I, I, how do I keep it? How do I keep the fire? And the truth is it, it, it isn't like a fire that I could have kept going. It was, it was, I was missing pieces of how the Christian life is supposed to work. You know, I thought it was just kind of like you get this fire going, you get passionate for Jesus, and then you can just, you know, kind of like coast on adrenaline. And that's just not, that's not true. That is not how the Christian life works. You are, um, you're going to burn out if you do that. And if that's your, your method of fuel, like fuel is, you know, God's word and his spirit empowering you through the very mundane and repetitious, you know, events of everyday life when there is no mountaintop emotional experience, when there is no open chapel filled with 3,000 people from all over the country. What about in the quiet of your room, you know, at night when your baby won't fall asleep? Or what about in the difficulty of the day when you have to discipline your child? Or, um, you know, there's there's continual stress in your marriage or when your parents get divorced or when, you know, um, an acquaintance gossips about you in your community and you're, you know, you're being slandered. I mean, what about all of those other times is, I guess, my point. Um, that's where you see what the fruit of that, uh, of that conversion looks like and where, where the fruit, where, where God actually... You either see what God is working in someone's life or you won't. It'll either be there or it won't. And of course, we need the body of Christ to come around those people and build them up, speak truth, encourage them. But I would just say that that experience and that worship ceremony or prayer session or revival is not the place where you qualify whether it's a revival. It's it's the lives that are changed afterwards. So, you know, I'll be praying for them and praying that God would truly bring repentance and belief um, through this. But, you know, a- another one to listen to is Elisa Childers. Her take was really good. And she had a great question to consider. And she asked, you know, would my progressive friends, my progressive Christian friends have anything against what's being taught here? Um, because there's been reports of, gay couples going and saying, you know, this would, like, being encouraged by it, which is interesting and very confusing. Like, okay, if if a couple who is gay goes and spends any amount of time and doesn't hear the gospel be preached and to repent of your sin and what is sin, like, if they don't ever hear that and they're able to think, like, this is amazing, I love this because this is going to bring more of affirmation of the LGBTQ community. Like, again, I haven't seen this firsthand. I've heard secondhand through her podcast and other places that that's happened. 
that definitely leads me to ask some questions. So um, anyway, if you want more perspective on this, listen to Ali Stuckey's episode, John Cooper's episode, and um, Elisa Childers. They all had good takes, which I've listened to. And, and um, you know, they don't all even agree with each other. I would say John Cooper is a little more like, you know, this might be revival. Let's not be so quick to question it. Elisa Childers is is more on the side of, well, is what is, is what is being taught actually the gospel? Is it really, um, is the truth of scripture being preached or is this kind of a message that anyone could get on board with? And so, therefore, you know, meaning that potentially it's it's really not it's not actually preaching any of the hard truths of scripture. It's preaching maybe just a message of love and kind of God's love for you. And, and that's, that's it. But God's love, as we know, like John tells us that if you love me, you will obey me. And so that is how you know. That is how you know that you love God is, is whether over the long haul you actually obey him. That you, that you want to obey him and that you do obey him. And um, there's been times in my life that you could have looked at my life and said, I don't think you really love God. And you would have been right. I would have professed with my lips to have loved God and I was living in a totally different way. And so, you know, I think, but the message I need in that time when I was living that way was not God loves you, God loves you. It was if you love God, you know God loves you. But if you love God, you will repent of the way you're living and you will you will seek by the power of the Holy Spirit to change and you will submit to to what his word says and you will be released of these, this burden of sin of living for yourself. And that's the message I needed when I was living that way. I didn't need to hear more of how much God loves me. I needed to hear what I, what I should be living like if I actually profess to love God. So anyways, that's my take. Hope that is helpful. Let me know in the comments what you think and, uh, Yeah, love to hear from you guys. All right, have a great day.